Listen up, Gotham. This is Batman. Tune into the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. And if you don't, I'll be coming for you. Hey, everybody, it's the Dark Knight of Rap, Sammy Warmhands, and this is, for the last time this year, the Bat Fanatic podcast. That's right, we started this one year ago just kind of for fun, and uh, man, it really turned into something cool. I'm really happy to get to spend time with my old friends, Ben and Evan, and just bullshit about comics. It's been really, really fun. So thank you to Ben and Evan. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to Radar Toys, who's had our back since day one. As always, you can go to RadarToys.com, use the code BATFANPOD, and save 10%. And no matter who you are, get free shipping in the U.S., all right? We started this show, one of the early episodes was White Knight, is one of our favorites. And the collected edition for the sequel just came out, so this is Sean Murphy's Curse of the White Knight. You want to do an episode? I just fucking read this book again. Do we have to talk about it? <laughs> yeah, I have also read it twice, but now it's been a while, so we'll see what happens. Night's End, part three. No! <laughs> Evan would cry. Curse of the Caucasian Knight. Uh, all right. Batman, Curse of the White Knight, 2020. Written and illustrated by Sean Murphy. Colored by Matt Hollingsworth. Lettered by... And World Design. And then Von Fries, of course, was illustrated by Klaus Janssen. Initial thoughts before we get into this. We were big fans of White Knight. It was a joy to read this. Yeah, I loved the last book, and this was just more of the same. Toss in some other elements. I didn't know that I needed like a swashbuckling back history, but (laughs) turns out I did, and I loved it. (laughs) <laughs> I enjoyed this more because, as I said before, I'm not super into the Joker. I yeah. like what he represents. I like what he brings to Batman, but he's not my favorite villain. So I like this world that Sean Murphy has created, getting to see, like, Azrael. Yeah. That's what I like. It's just fantastic. This freedom that he's been granted to, like, manipulate this universe in a way that nobody has before. Even Azrael is a bad guy, not a good guy who acts kind of bad just like changing everybody's roles or even who Bruce Wayne is as a person and stuff. Just, just everything like cool. Just rearrange all of that. It is critical. It's not critical. It's, and it's so awesome to look at. Yeah. I think what's cool about Sean's work is that, you know, with white Knight, it's pretty clear right at the gate that like, Oh wow, this is a really original take, you know? Yeah. It's got influences from all over the place, but that is part of the charm is that I'm going to take this in a new direction, but also for my own satisfaction and also to prove to you, (laughs) you know, Uh that I have the pedigree here. I I understand this world. I remember saying when we read Noel that I thought it was cool that Bermejo had read the Christmas Carol and thought that he could make a Batman story out of it. And similarly, I like that Murphy is clearly super familiar with Batman and the mythos and all that does is like turn his gears and create like, Oh, what if I had the freedom to do what I wanted with this universe? And this is what he comes up with. Well, apparently the pitch for this, cause I listened to him talk about it on his podcast and the pitch for this was way different and way more ancient history and was supposed to be like, all right, so Batman 
but it's Castlevania. Mm. And just so also acceptable. <laughs> so there's like little bit of that, but for the most part, I'm glad he took it back to the main universe. Because here's my first note: opens with quote unquote Laffy Arkham in a sword fight in 1685, and I am immediately concerned. <laughs> yeah, I was too. Yeah, Evan, how you're saying like how you didn't realize you wanted it, and it's awesome. I feel the same way. I grew to really like that over the course of the story. But starting with that, I'm like, oh, is it going to be 100 pages of this before we get yeah. to <laughs> that's, that's like my I don't like the future stuff. It's like, I don't want to watch Pirate Batman. Yeah. Unless he's wearing a, a Pirate Batman costume. Maybe then I'm on board. But, but you could only... You could only think that if you hadn't seen any of the other cover art or anything like that, because you have covers that show like a robotic Asbat suit looking like uh, tougher than ever. I don't know how a person would take that as anything other than like some odd flashback. Plus, I like the way that it segues to you have your like little Arkham Manor cliff silhouette action. And yeah. then immediately like the next one is just like the scenes in a movie, like no fade away. Boom image transfer updated location i do know? like that like it's just a couple yeah. page segue gotham dominates everything now or before it was just the castle for sure you have this swashbuckler edmund wayne character which is like zorro which is like the mask of zorro movie that they watch yeah additionally i just watched v for vendetta mm-hmm. and you have this like edmund Dante's, what's the um, character Oh, Guy What's Forks. What's he based on, though? Guy, okay. Guy, Guy Forks. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> okay. Guy Forks. okay. Um, I was like, Zorro? I don't... <laughs> yeah, Guy Knives and Guy Forks. Um, <laughs> previously, I knew how to say that guy's name. I don't any longer. Don't hold me accountable for anything. But you were halfway through a point, though. Yeah, anyways, the whole swashbuckling fencing aspect is a thing in V for Vendetta and they watch the Counts of Monte Cristo. That's his favorite movie. And that character's name is Edmund Dantes. And this character's name is Edmund Wayne. Ah, and because you know, Sean Murphy has read and watched everything. It's not a coincidence. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure. All right. So we get to uh, Arkham Asylum in present time. Joker stabs the warden who is there of his own accord. They never really explain what he has on this guy to make him cooperate, but... They're uh, lovers. He works for the elites also. He goes to grab something from his old cell for, quote, my final act and escapes. <laughs> Again, he's cooperating. The guy is helping him escape. And then he's like, well, no one's going to believe this. And then stabs him. <laughs> like, we got to sell this, okay? Awesome. Bruce finally reads... Alfred's letter that was kind of the closing piece of White Knight. And we go through that again, and it's sort of the underscored, there's no strength in being alone, you know? And again, this story continues to show the issues he has with the Bat family, you know? And in the end of it, he leaves him something, and this leads him into uh, the floorboards to find this diary of Edmund Wayne. The thing I don't understand here is that at some point mentions it's unreadable because of its age and he has to restore it to do so. But then also Alfred 
has it and knows what it says. Maybe Ichigan the demon read it to him. There you go. Before giving it to him. Oh, from the past. Yeah, they don't say why it's so unreadable. They just make it seem like it's an old document, but maybe Al- something Alfred happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Al- <laughs> yeah, Alfred, so, yeah, son of a bitch. So, yeah, it, well, it actually got worse between the time when Alfred read it and Bruce getting to read it. I think it's possible, unless I'm just completely missing it, that Alfred didn't read it. He just took Jason Blood at his word that, like, this is something Bruce would need someday, and then he put it away safe. Yeah. Didn't read it because it wasn't for him. Yeah, that could be. I'm picturing like young Bruce. He like spills his sippy cup as a kid or something like that. And he just fucks up all that stuff. Son of a bitch. They start a little imagery thing early on with this. And maybe it was in the last book too. But Bruce, when he's being Bruce, casts Batman silhouette shadows on yeah, the wall. I like that. Cool. They, they did that with um, Harleen where she's walking into Arkham for the first time as a doctor and as she passes through the gates that's her shadow on the ground is you know with the mallet and the ah. jester hat and everything it's pretty cool that's cool i like how batman and gordon are investigating joker's escape and actually find a skeleton in that old cell when they're trying to figure out why he went there and they do the setup of the like what's that say on the wall i don't know somebody rubbed it off or crossed it out somehow you know bruce sort of is admitting to dick back at the cave that he fucked up and you know it's time to hang up the cape and cowl batman loves revealing his identity in these books he wants to be done and he wants everybody to know who he is the amount of times they do that in this story is definitely on my cons yeah quite a lot i like the generally the detective part of Batman is more of a modern day detective kind of stuff to me. I like because this is sort of rooted in the past that it has like slightly more archaeological detective aspects to it. The unearthing of skeletons and the old documents and mini treasure chests and stuff. Mm -hmm. Examining and investigating ruins. Yeah, exactly. Scuba diving in a lake that didn't used to be there and stuff. I like all that. When when they introduce the the last character here, that's Jean Paul, and he's in much different shape than the guy we knew in Nightfall. He is naked at the doctor's office, given a terminal diagnosis, and goes on this crazy hallucination, smashes a nurse's head into the fucking wall, and uh, wigs out in the chapel. Turns out he believes in God. <laughs> no surprise there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, I like that Joker is, well, I'll say critical, but it seems like a little more subtle until later on. But even this part where John Paul is at the church and you have like a Joker holding the sword, like some Zelda stuff. Yeah. And he is a critical role, but he's also kind of the, like the kickstarter to this whole thing. Like, yeah. hey, buddy, you got this. I need you to do some stuff for me. So here's the sword and, uh, you know, just get the ball rolling. He's sort of just playing puppet master. For sure. So Bruce is examining the bones they found. Ties that in with the diary. And it's about the same amount of time, you know, about 300 years old. And he's like, well, that's a pretty big coincidence. You know, IDs it as Lafayette Arkham. 
who had had, uh, what was it, tuberculosis in the bone marrow samples. And it's just kind of, you know, starting to piece it together a little bit. Mm-hmm, seemingly. Some good detective stuff. Twice in this story, that Ruth character specifically talks about people damaging her mahogany, mahogany desk. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. It's a, I mean, mahogany is expensive, and that's true, but I like that she just has to name drop mahogany, so we as audience members need to know how luxurious her desk is. That's a Ron Burgundy joke, though. The like, yeah. I have many leather-bound books. Uh, my office smells of rich mahogany. Rich you know? mahogany, yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> I find Joker, I was cool with his redesign in the original one, but... Probably because there's less Jack, more Joker in this, and he spends no time on a scooter. I, <laughs> I liked his I liked his redesign more, and I liked him more as Sean Murphy's version of the character in this because it didn't include those other elements. I had an easier time taking him seriously. I liked the depictions of his face, and I liked the close-ups and a lot of the, you know, shifting face sometimes. I just liked him more in this book. When his clothes, his outfit, and the white knight, I kind of had the feeling that maybe that was just like what he was wearing that day. Yes, suspenders. Yeah. Is, yeah, like this is mm-hmm. Sean Murphy's Jokers. He wears a, a Batman t-shirt and suspenders. That's what totally. this character looks like. That's his mm-hmm. costume. Especially in um, that first, he goes and he like talks to Ruth she talks about the mahogany. He's got his feet up on her desk. And I like that profile a lot. Like you're getting more detail of him. It includes his long barreled revolver, like some Joker elements that we do know, but he has this really distinct profile. And you're right. That's just, this is the costume that his version of the character wears. But before I thought it was like a little silly because of the inclusion of the scooter. And this time I just thought (laughs) that it was, I just thought that it was cool and different because the other stuff made it childish in the last book. In this one, I just thought that it was an interesting take on it. Yeah, I really like practically everything about the artwork in both of these. Yeah. I, I really have loved his style from the first cover I saw, I think. You know, it just works For really sure. well, especially Joker's just like lean, pointy features and stuff, whereas a lot of people can make him look inhuman. He has all of those things, but still it looks pretty believable as a person, you know. He has the nose profile of the animated series yeah. with the long and the sharp. And then a lot of the stuff that Murphy does with his eyebrows, eyes, forehead, mouth reminds me of Joe Matarera and his like propensity to make like not unrealistic, but pretty exaggerated teeth. And there's not like a lot of symmetry to them. A lot of times they're specifically like they're uneven. They're kind of sharp. They're edgy looking. And he does a lot of stuff like this where Joker is yelling and you're getting like a lot of awesome mouth and tooth details. A little messier, a little more realistic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I like too that in some of the later scenes, jumping ahead, just when you see the mix of Jack and Joker at the same time, Again, it's exaggerated, but like you can see the way his mouth is contorting on the Joker side. You can go like, okay, I could see how the Jack Napier side could contort to that. It's not Uh so much like some of the stuff we look at, we're like, what human could possibly have a chin that long and lips that wide? Yeah. It looks like, oh, I can see that. I can see a human. I see their face doing that. You know, you should get to play this guy is uh, Milo Ventimiglia. You know, he's got the sort of like, one half of his face does a different thing than the other half of his mouth, you know? Like, 
That'd be perfect. He's just like droopy. I'm not joking. He's a great actor. I could totally see him as a Joker. It'd be great. In those later panels, too, you it's cool that you get like the two-face Joker. You get to see them both simultaneously. I think Joker, that's, and this just feels a lot like Two-Face. It has a lot of Two-Face stuff in his character. Well, and mm-hmm. Murphy said that that was one of the criticisms of the first series was that, oh, you just made Joker into Two-Face. And so when I saw that shot in this, I was like, ah, he's giving it back to him. Like, okay. And I am whatever you say I am. You know, like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Nice job, Marshall. There you go. But he feels genuine. He feels like Two-Face Joker. He doesn't feel like he just took the Joker and made him Two-Face. He still feels like the Joker, but with Two-Face personality on stuff. top of it in a good way. Yeah, it still works. It seems different, too, because there's never... Harvey never was Two-Face when he was Harvey, and there didn't seem to be like a lot of struggle. Then you have the accident or whatever, and then he actively is both of those characters. Mm. In White Knight, you have a Joker who... like sort of transforms between the two like two-face never does that he actually like totally switches his look back and forth somehow he's like morphing rorschach style i don't know and then in this he is struggling against the two characters whereas harvey doesn't seem to me like he ever they exist at different times but they don't really seem to like be butting heads to me that's because you're drawing on batman forever as your Prime yeah, Two Face. That's what I was gonna say. It's like, and that's all I'll say about that. If we had done more <laughs> animated series in Two Face's origin there, which was the first thing I ever saw him in, because he wouldn't have been on sixty six. Oh, but yeah. he he was in therapy prior to that because he did have this other side, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think there's elements of him having some kind of rage issues and that kind of stuff in a lot of like Harvey Dent stories. Yeah, even in the Dark Knight. I mean, he flips out on that guy, Thomas Schiff, and pulls a gun on him. And, you know, he's not going to go through with it, but you can see he's already losing it a little bit. Mm. And I didn't see it as much in the first book, but it's more to me, because both Jack Napier and Joker exist so much in the story, that you just can't deny when one of the prime characters in this universe is somebody with a split personality, one side good, one side kind of bad. Yeah, You can't deny the parallels there. But again, it's like all the stuff he does, it doesn't bother me and it feels like an interesting reconfiguration of it. It doesn't feel like he's being lazy. Yeah, it works. Just reusing it. I'm just not seeing it, guys. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get another uh, ancient history flashback here where we're, we're world building. And sort of to sum it up, Bakar is sent to Gotham by the order of St. Dumas uh, to take over Arkham, to take back the valley, Gotham Valley, he needs a rightful heir. And so that's why he brings along Edmund because the Waynes um, lineage in Gotham Valley. But I guess what I don't understand is that he takes Edmund from outside of Gotham Valley into Gotham Valley how are the Waynes here if the manor is not in the valley? Because, you know, Gotham today, it's sprawling and it's out there and it's loosely part of everything. But, like, if the people way the fuck down there recognize your lineage, 
why are you so far away that you have to journey there? I don't get that well, they, exactly. They talk about his family dying from the plague or some kind of disease or something. So maybe yeah. before that, they still had their home in England or London or wherever it was, but they were also the administrators of that chunk of America. Hmm. Like they don't really say how far back his family was involved there, so they could have come home and then died. Yeah, yeah. And then so they still recognize Wayne influence, but there's no Wayne left that they know of. That part kind of escaped me too. Uh, like, what legacy are you securing when there's none of your people in this place, anyways? I don't really understand. And just geographically, like your property is so far removed. Like, yeah. So yeah, I wasn't quite connecting those dots. For sure. It seemed like a, uh, like again, like that kind of era of thing of where like, what really secures it is the martial force like taking it over physically yeah. but then what justifies it is having some sort of oh yeah well i'm the son of this guy and he was the guy who was given to before so now that you actually physically control it that's how you get the government to recognize it or to yeah. go along with it like yeah i just murdered a whole lot of people but i got this guy i'm wayne yeah he's wayne i got this guy yeah. i stake a claim on this land i've murdered everyone <laughs> it's mine now acknowledge me and then back in present time you mentioned ruth and her first appearance is actually confronting Bruce in his office saying, do what you do, but keep these, you know, big ticket items out of your cart, so to speak. Like, let's leave these uh, other clients of mine alone. And this is where it gets a little, I guess, while well, we just said where it gets a little convoluted, but it continues here a little bit in going well, who are your clients? She's like, some of my clients don't even know they're my clients and I couldn't tell you and blah, 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 and the elites. And I feel like that whole thing is a little too loose. The term elites is already very on the nose. Yeah, I, I don't like, I don't love that. But uh, saying straight up to Bruce Wayne, I know you're Batman. If you reveal yourself, you will ruin this whole economy that you've built around your company and the lives of all of your allies. And we don't yet know what her interest is in this, but the fact that he just lets her walk out of there and then she gives this Jean-Paul who now has a renewed sense of purpose and somewhat of a destiny to fulfill at the end of his life and nothing to lose. She gives him the target of take out the Batman so there's a lot going on in this very little sequence in book two. They don't really talk about it, but Ruth holds a lot of stock in a luxurious mahogany desk company, <laughs> and it'll be just totally screwed up if, uh, if Bruce does what he intends to do. Yeah, if, if Wayne that. Industries goes down, where is my top furniture client going to go? <laughs> yeah. There's but no second place. Glasses. Where am I going to get my huge glasses? <laughs> I kind of have the feeling with that because it's like the first book was extremely dense too. Yes. But it doesn't bother me as much in this one, I think just because of the content of what it is. For the first one, it's like people going on and on about like the Batman Devastation Fund and the nuts and bolts of Gotham like business and city government. Uh With this, this just interests me a little more because it's like more of the backstory stuff, more of uncovering something interesting, fundamentally interesting. Yeah. The last book is all societal and logistics and politics. That's what makes it convoluted. And what makes this one convoluted is this twisting backstory history. 
Yeah, I think there's like a lot of shit you have to jam in to make your twist that you thought of first work later. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I try to unravel this stuff now. Yeah, I think what makes this one complex is the backstory that gets pitched to us in certain ways isn't actually the truth, and the truth comes out by the end. The action is fairly straightforward, though the motivations are actually a little weird because of what the truth of the history is. And then otherwise, the stuff that makes it complex is just Batman reconciling his effect on Gotham and what he should do because of the impact that he's had. Yeah. So Gordon announces a bid for mayor. And while he's on stage with this massive screen behind him and all the press and the people of Gotham out there, a Joker shows up. I think he's got his two, three-foot revolver that yeah, he had before and puts Barbara's picture on the big screen with the side-by-side of her as Batgirl. This I actually really like and I think is a great way of driving a rift between Gordon and Bruce and now Barbara and her dad. And sort of just everyone in that little world is uh, upset by this. I just appreciate that scene because that was one of my complaints about White Knight was that how does he not recognize his daughter? Yeah. She has, she has very little mask on her face. So that, to make that a story beat, I really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Sean had to like cut some panels, but there was previously going to be one where Jim was like, oh, duh. <laughs> he held his fingers up over her eyes. And like, oh, no shit. <laughs> There was some sort of line about that where he acknowledges how he was blind to it and feels stupid or something, yeah. but yeah. Weren't you a detective, man? You were a... <laughs> Batman did all the work. Yeah, seriously. Now, Azrael shows up at the Batcave. This is a pretty cool scene. Bruce is in the computer. Azrael's face appears on the computer. He commandeers the cave itself to attack him. So the animated series Batwing is flying in and the fucking Batmobile is fucking shit up and basically blows up his whole fucking house. We get the Iron Man 3 moment. He goes into the water and then for some reason they feel the need to bring the whole GTO, you know, Bullock's like, Bruce Wayne is Batman? Like, what the fuck? You know, that seemed a little unnecessary when you have Dick and Barbara who could have gone alone yeah, I think a lot of that stuff I'm willing to chalk up to this is just a different version of the characters we know. Because in that same way of like, a lot of the stuff this Batman does is weak compared to the Batman that I most associate the character with. Yeah. So for whatever reason, these two characters didn't think they could help him on their own and they needed the four other guys in their police squad to help him. <laughs> but that's just this version of yeah. them. I guess they're not that good. Yeah. And then we follow this with him unmasking again immediately to Harley to gain her trust. To back up a little bit, there's that sort of like, you can't sneak up on me because she's got the hyenas, you know. But uh, that reveal where they're talking for a minute before she gets up and you see that she's very pregnant. And then him coming back to her and asking like, Look, I, I need your help. I need Joker for information. You're the only one who can 
get through to him. And it's like, why the fuck should I trust you? And he's like, well, I've been taking this off for everybody else, so let me take <laughs> off the mask again. Um, this is my go-to move nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that on its own would have been powerful, but that after being revealed to the GTO, after being re- revealed to Gordon, it doesn't really have any weight left by then. Mm-hmm. For us, but she doesn't know that. Yeah. yeah. He's just um, a real taking off the mask slut. So. <laughs> take it yeah, off. Sure. Take he has it a off. Like, fetish, something. <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite of wearing masks. He's been wearing stuff for so long, but now the real turn on is the, the reveal. <laughs> I wanted to go back real fast to the attack at the manor because, aside from the opening and the little sword fight, which isn't much of a thing, that's like the first real action scene in this. And it's cool for its significance, not that we haven't seen things like that before, but just mostly that Murphy does action in a very cool way. Yeah, It's pretty obvious what's going on all the time. I see this panel to this panel. This makes sense. It's more like storyboards, and it's all very action-packed for not being animated or live action. It's like very action-packed, very dynamic and visual, and without knowing what a lot of his influence is or anything, there seems to be a manga influence in his work, especially in regards to the action, because there's really dynamic angles and there's very cool perspective. And there's a lot of use of like speed lines to drive the direction and the action. And that's like very obvious to me in those scenes, especially with the vehicles and stuff, because they're supposed to be like, boom, you know, whipping around corners and then boom, headed back towards him. And, there's just a lot of hard perspective going on and it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I know he really likes drawing vehicles and like it shows when you look at, I mean, the first book had Batmobile money shots all over it, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and this one is, is no different. I mean, like seeing the Batwing flying through the cave, seeing the Batmobile in the water, even in the, Mm -hmm. the first page of the next issue. I mean, all that shit's fantastic. I think that's the end of that chapter as well. He goes in the water. You have the mansion in the background and then like their military Jeep vehicle. But it's just cool the way. Oh, yeah. I see this. Yeah. They're yeah, just, driving just away. His ink and his highlights and stuff. You, that zigzag line isn't like the vehicle line, but it makes it seem like it's maybe the path that it traveled on this hill towards you or something. But it also <clears throat> adds just to like the dynamic angle of the whole thing. And then you could just picture it as a cartoon where that's a still background, but the vehicle has been going boom, 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 and mm. whipping towards me for the last couple of seconds. And there's lines at the bottom and the side of the page also moving back yeah. to where we've been. Exactly. Those zigzags that looks like a moonlit top of a road that it's traveled. And then even under the vehicle, it's like hard lit from the top. Like it's a spotlight or something. It actually reminds me of, uh, spoilers for James Bond fans, but it reminds me of the end of Skyfall. It's like his childhood home and he brings M back to his childhood home. And that's where the big showdown is. You know, they end up blowing the place up to try to fool them. And M goes underground and climbs up through like a secret passage and is running away. Um, And it's sort of that same vibe of like the burning old fashioned estate in the background, you know? It reminds me, for Bond fans, spoiler alert, in Octopussy. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> it's an old movie. It's <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, Octopussy. 
Now, here's one for you. When Batman confronts the Joker, then he brings in Harley. She is meant to try to bring out Jack and be the voice of reason here, right? But we get Ben's favorite, Edgelord Joker. Batman, no, I know what you're going to say. Say it. You don't suppose your utility belt has a coat hanger? No, both times I read that line, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> and it's, it's because, and I was trying to think of like, well, why, that's, if, if you just wrote that, that seems pretty edgelordy. So why does that not come across as edgelordy? Can you just say edgy, please? Can we agree that edgelord is the noun? Can we just say edgy? No, because it's edgy. Edgelordy as an extra layer of um, unnecessary syllables. Mocking. I want you to know that I think it's dumb. Edgy could be construed as like, yeah, it's edgy, but maybe it's, it's cool. uber. It's uber edgy. Yeah, edge, edgelord it, it, is not cool. Yeah, it lords lame. over all of the edginess. Abortion <laughs> jokes in general are edgelord jokes. They're just not funny. But this one, it's because it's so like this is fucked up, but it's so playful. <laughs> it's like, I don't suppose your utility belt with edgelord Joker would go. Uh, uh, I'm gonna get a clothes hanger and I'm gonna abort one of your kids. Yeah, like yeah. That's, that's a bad version of it, but it's that it's silly. It's like stupid. And that's goofy. amazing. I thought for sure you would hate this scene. I laughed out loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It's all about delivery. Yeah, it's the context and the delivery. It's extreme. Obviously, this is like an R-rated Joker, but it's still dumb in a funny way. Yeah. Abortion jokes aren't usually funny, but this one is funny, so exceptions can be made. I mean, I think they're great, but sure, whatever. To each his own. That should be the tagline for the podcast. The Bat Fan Attic Podcast. I think abortion jokes are great. (laughs) Give me a five-star rating, please. (laughs) Gordon steps down. Montoya is named as his successor. And I like the dialogue there when she's like, what is this some sort of diversity bullshit and Bullock and everybody is like, dude, you think they're going to give it to me? Like who's more qualified for the, like, you're the fucking one, you know, you're the OG now. Come on. Like they did that in Gotham where Gordon gets demoted from captain and Bullock steps up or whatever, but he's still kind of a mess and doesn't know what he's doing, you know? So I, I like that they just shot that down. Yeah, it makes sense for her to be Gordon's successor, especially in this universe, because in like regular Batman universe, I never saw her as a character that was that important. More so in Batwoman. But, oh, because they have a relationship. Yeah. But even that's relatively modern, isn't it? That's only within the last 10 years or so. Or... As far as I know, yeah. I think it was New 52. I like that Bullock is smart enough to know that he's not qualified like he's not a good fit for that job like are you kidding me that's not what this is like look at me I, I'm not, i don't want to do that i can't do that well, and also just think about how horrible that job is because like yesterday biden gave his big speech and like for whatever your feelings are on the subject one percent of me was like who would want this job right now? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. oh my God, no matter who it is, you're going to have a lot of pissed off motherfuckers, you know? And so you think about Bullock going, I ain't fucking touching that. <laughs> yeah, that really seems to play to his strengths of managing, delegating, yeah. <laughs> uh, assigning responsibility, but then taking responsibility when things go bad. Yeah, no. It yeah. seems like a Bullock thing. Nobody's going to want to do that. donuts, but not having any napkins around to wipe your face with. <laughs> Always having food in your hand. Yeah, he kicks butt at that. 
Well, and in the next scene, Bullock actually gets shot. Azrael is in the shadows and Gordon talks to him as if he's Batman because he's used to being crept up on by some dude. Fucking fetish freak. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Gordon actually gets run through with the sword. It's a pretty powerful scene. We see the, the slow motion cigarette or toothpick or whatever falling out of his mouth. And he gets thrown over the fucking rail. Lands on trash. You like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a, an Easter egg, actually. I thought that was his Keaton impression. And I, I liked it. <laughs> and then there's a big shootout because Azrael has his hired guns with him. How dare you? They are not hired guns. They're part of his band of brothers. Yeah, but they're... Yeah. Professionals, colleagues. He's not paying them. They're just on his side. They're brothers in arms. Okay, but they're Nightwing and Batgirl to Azrael. You know what I'm saying? Like... They're not on the cover of the book, okay? I'll put it that way. Do they also believe in our Lord and Savior, or are they just friends with Azrael? <laughs> I think they're just friends with Azrael. Yeah, that's true. Well, when he has the hallucination at the beginning, Gabriel, she's like, don't fight it, just give in. Is that good advice? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> You're naked, you can take him. Go for it. Oh, man. Now, I like in that scene, though, because that's the first time we had in this book the old school draw the name out in cool letters when you get to hell tell the devil that Azrael sent you oh yeah and it, it looks like yeah, the title letters yeah yeah i love that they do that in the back of the book too i don't know what your guys's versions are like but on the covers with the individual characters then they also have like a unique font it you know shows their name as a title and then it has a cool lettering Gordon. to it i like the character covers yeah book 4 this is probably my favorite part, I think. The way that book four opens, it's sort of cut time, where it's the flashback of Barbara getting picked on as a child and Gordon kind of coaching her and like, hey, don't tell your mom, but I know you're like me. You're a fighter, you know, and we have the scene of her running into the hospital and then of her running, I believe, at school. It's just devastating the way that this plays out. Oh, yeah, she's running out of the hospital. You realize when you see everyone's bowed heads and Batman is running in, mm-hmm. that he didn't make it out of the operating room. That was just so powerful, both her whole thing and Batman just in full costume hugging this dead guy on the gurney that we've seen in every incarnation go through all this shit together. I mean, that was really... I admire them for committing to it, and it, it really hit home, you know? It's a lot to... I think that we are all reading the collected versions and, and yeah. didn't read the single issues. Not that somebody passing it away at the end of an issue is, is a new thing, but just the significance of that as a character and then that being the end of an issue and then starting the next issue with the flashbacks it starts off with some such emotion. The last one leaves you in such a place and like, holy shit, and kind of sadness. But then the next one starts out with the real Barbara family history sadness. And it's just a lot right off the bat. And I think that that's really, really well thought out because most long form storytelling would tell you to divert and drag out that cliffhanger right because a lot of them if they if you're watching a tv show and they end with some big reveal 
the next episode might start with something entirely different and like another subplot that you've been working on, right? And make you work up to that thing. But they know that this was so big, you have to just fucking address it right out of the gate. And so what better way than through his daughter's perspective and fuck, man. And, and following that then, Batman sort of collapsing, holding Jim's body, and then Bruce coming home where he's now staying, and he's telling Leslie Tompkins what happened, and he collapses on the ground, and he's on his knees, and she's holding him. They really let you just feel the weight of this through and through, and, and I, I love it. You know, I really, really felt it. Just the panel composition of the the page with Batman holding Gordon. Mm-hmm. It's the entire bottom right is just the shot of him holding him. And then the panels leading up to that almost look as if they're falling down. Because it's kind of the whole, like, it's it's unraveling and it's falling apart, leading mm-hmm. to that one shot that dominates the whole page. He gets pretty creative with his panels in this. You have a picture with the operating table that he's on, and you have operation machinery all those implements kind of directly around him like pretty heavily shadowed but then everything behind it is just like straight up solid blackness again with like the hard directional spotlight that that's very dramatic it's interesting looking at this operating room scene because i think back to nightfall it's the start of one of the issues where you first see what became of bruce after Bane breaking his back, right? There's that great shot where it's just a black void. Alfred and Dick and I think Jean-Paul are kind of standing around this hospital bed under a spotlight. You know, and it's just front and center and everything else around it is black and it's it's a beautiful shot. And this one, like you're saying, everything is sort of askew. You get Barbara running past Batman out of the hospital and the next panel is sort of crooked and below, but not fully below. And then there's a close-up of Batman's face. And the, all the panels kind of intersect. And then you have Batman run in. And that one is so far removed from everything. It's in the black void uh-huh. of the OR. And it's tiny and it's askew like the others. I mean, you're really right. I didn't acknowledge the composition of this, but it's so different than what we've seen before illustrating the same point. Yeah, it's more like the page itself with the other lead-up panels just separated from it near the top, and the rest of it is like the underlayer of the page. When you were talking, Sam, too, it was an interesting thought to me that to have that kind of secret identity thing going on. I mean, the whole time Bruce has been taking off his mask like he's dropping his pants or something, but... (laughs) He's Gordon, a flasher. Gordon, yeah, he's <laughs> do, just, that. I do that all the time for everyone. Yeah, yeah, all the time. I mean, if Bruce is like me, then yeah. Why should I trust you? Unzip. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Does this, does this look like the penis of a dishonest man? <laughs> no, it's like a, it's like half baked. Black ass. Why are you not yeah. me earlier? Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, Bruce Wayne. Totally. <laughs> I recognize that dong anyway. Hey, no dong jokes. God damn it. Oh, that's a multi-billionaire boner if I've ever seen one. <laughs> I think it's interesting that these characters have such a rapport, such a history, but Gordon doesn't know who he is. So here's Batman holding him on his deathbed. Are my lines crossed? I thought he revealed himself in the end of the first one. 
to Gordon. Did he not? Am I mixing oh, up with a different story? Maybe he did. Sorry. Fuck. If, if that's the case, then I'm just I, I, like mixing up I, previous Batman universe. I think he did, but I think even if he didn't, it still works because Gordon in general, but especially in this universe, my biggest takeaway from him, and it might even be in that scene where he reveals to him that he's Bruce Wayne, and he's like, it doesn't matter. You're Batman. Yeah. Like that's who you are. It doesn't really matter who the guy is. You're Batman. Yeah. That's all. I think you may be right, Sam. I, I didn't think about that so I, in my head. Somehow I'm thinking of like all of the rest of Batman history and then this as the end of it. Yeah. Not it being a part of the book before it. Leslie tells Bruce how she and Alfred obtained that journal. This. The more I talk about this, the more I'm like, I mean, I did like it, but it's very convenient that she happened to be there. We have this whole thing where the Jason blood just uh-huh. vanishes, but then like also everything in the room changes. It's just he's very, supernatural character. it's like a he's haunting. A Has he? Yeah, they've, yeah, he's an old school DC character. Okay. He's I, extra gun, the demon. Okay. Yeah, he's the demon. Okay. Cause I never heard of this motherfucker. And I was like, how this dude just fucking... Yeah. It's another, like, Sean Murphy bringing old lore in, mm. but not fixating on it. It's just there, and if you know what it is, you can appreciate the reference. If you don't, it still kind of stands on its own. Well, yeah, as, as sure. someone who didn't get it, I was like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> well, and you don't, you don't know that until Batman has the conversation with him later anyways. Like, at that point, it's just like some weird ghost story, and... That's iconic, his little white streak in the hair. Mm. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. He's got the I rogue. Was, I thought it was like Rogue's brother or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he is also, yeah. That's, oh, okay. I, I, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's a Marvel DC I, I, crossover. It, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but I did like the little ghost story element. Now, Alfred gets a sword. He looks like a badass and mm. then be gone. Now, what I do really like is coming out of this sort of like Robin's Reckoning, actually, where... Batman goes to take this shit on head first alone. We have Barbara at the GTO saying she's out for blood. She's going to kill him if she catches him. Bullock is like, atta girl, who's driving? You know, and uh, we get this awesome fucking sequence where she takes the tumbler and rams this motherfucker. Just uh, phenomenal. She pulls out the machine gun. She's got tears in her eyes. She's drawn on him. Azrael's got his hood and mask knocked off of him, climbing out of the car, and he's like, Batman? And she goes, worse. You know, I, I fucking, ah, <laughs> oh, I love it. And of course, Batman swoops in and takes the gun out of her hands. But then again, so much of what he does is to protect these people in his Bat family, right? But like, sometimes when he intervenes, he fucks shit up even more. And she ends up getting seriously hurt here when... Azrael's like, oh, good. Knocked her down, picks her up and knee to the fucking spine. Which is like kind of like the Bane backbreaker thing. Mm-hmm. And also like a killing joke thing where, I mean, she is uh, mm-hmm. essentially crippled, taken out of the picture. It's another moment where I thought like Batman not using guns is fundamental to his character, but he's also like a master marksman. So he could have shot Azrael in like the shoulder or the leg, or something, instead of just standing there not doing anything. Well, yeah, but she them. was drawn on him and ready to kill. So it mm-hmm. wasn't yeah. that... But then Batman had the gun and 
bullets like shoot him come on shoot him and he's oh gonna yeah yeah Batman you're right could non-fatally shoot Azrael if he wanted to it's anyone true anyone could do it Batman could do it yeah especially if he's that good like shoot him in the leg man make him fall down I like that this contains characters from Nightfall and then just kind of like flips everything a little bit like Azrael as the bad guy and Bane randomly shows up but he's not the bad bad guy yeah. and he gets defeated i think that the little things that they do in this like murphy's little role reversals are cool and i, I pictured um have you guys seen hot fuzz yeah like how that main character is like so adamantly anti-guns and stuff but he's actually like incredibly good at them so you have the one scene where he finally gets a gun like later on and he's like okay i'm, I'm resolved so, to use this but they have this like where he grips it and it really acknowledges he's like oh like he's home or something and that's how i picture batman being like he would be so good at that that if he was to receive a firearm and actually use it he'd be like boom just locked in and ready to go it's perverse, and I don't like it. It's Batman. <laughs> well, then we go to Gordon's funeral. I mean, Bruce doesn't show because he feels like that would be inflammatory. You know, that would be uh, uh, provoking a reaction or something. And so uh, he just bails like an asshole. And then... In the meantime, is the scuba sequence you talked about. Yeah. He believes in this Lex Luthor-style plot to flood the valley and create a new port um, in which Edmund betrays Bacar and forced all the displaced, now homeless people into what would become Backport. I like that initial page where he's diving for the first time and all the water is black, but the bubbles are blue that's very graphic to me that's very cool the colorist is great in in both of these oh my books God, they're you know. such a good combo he's really underrated because i mean sean being the writer artist gets all the credit here but uh matt hollingsworth is fantastic in both books i really like that his coloring really suits his drawing style so well but i also like that they've really created a thing for themselves in the same way that i'll talk about um uh, Mike Mignola and Dave Stewart being like a really awesome pairing. That's how I feel about Murphy and Hollingsworth. I don't know about Murphy's other stuff, but both the Batman books and uh, Tokyo Ghost, they're together. Like his washed out watercolor color schemes pair really well with this stuff. And I think it's cool that they just got it locked in and like anytime Murphy's like, I've got a project and you're going to be the dude because I yeah. like how we work so well together. We're just going to be together forever. I mean, anytime you get those great teams like we're seeing now with uh, Fabok and Brad Anderson or, you know, whether it's Jim Lee always working with Alex Sinclair and uh, Scott Williams. I mean, you just get these teams that like when it's right, it's like, yep, we're in a band now. We're just going to uh-huh. always collaborate, yeah. you know? Yeah, totally. We're clicking. Now, Bullock represents me in this scene. I sort of think the audience, to some extent, he says, I don't have 
the freaking patience for this. Land deals, religious cults, a vampire named Laffy. It's like some underwater Scooby-Doo mystery from 16. Who gives a shit? And uh, <laughs> I really like that because, you know, it's a really convoluted story. And so I'm, I'm like, God, it looks so good. And they're giving me little moments of heart and these characters that I love. But also, I'm like really trying to suspend disbelief here, you know. That's Sean just throwing me a life raft going like, look, I get it. I get it. Just yeah. wait till the end. I'll address the audience through a character. Yeah. I think all that stuff, the backstory and the the original Waynes and their relationship with the Valley, it ultimately ends up working as another way of like trying to tell like a big story that really impacts the Batman universe. And again, he has the benefit of this being his universe that he can do whatever he wants with and yeah. not being the old one. But I don't know. I mean, I think as much as I like Court of Owls, I think some of that fell a little flat to me in terms of it being like, this totally changes the universe of Batman because actually these owl people were here the whole time fucking with stuff. And that doesn't have as much impact to me as this Wayne origin story does, especially because of the way they twist it by the end. I will continue on that when we get there, I guess, because otherwise I'm going to go into a whole thing about the end. So Harley shows this little love note from Joker that says, don't give up on me. And it's on a three of diamonds. She's like, why do you think I wear this on my costume? You know, doesn't this look familiar to you? And I kind of loved that assigning value to something way after the fact. I like that kind of little world building stuff more than the uh, whole extra storyline. Just a little aside that adds a little context that I, I thought was cool. And then this is when she tries to bring the children, the babies, to coax that out of him. Maybe they talk about it in the first book and I just don't remember. Because they show in this one of like Jack Napier stumbling across the corpse of Laffy and all that stuff and finding it. When does he become a complete nut job? Like, cause he was Jack Napier when he started committing crime. So he already was that. When did he completely lose it? I don't think they ever really show that because what we saw in the first book was well after that, <coughs> you know, like we start yeah. when Joker ends and is treated, so to speak, to become Jack again, but we don't see the in-between. We see these flashbacks here. But we don't really see how he was born. Yeah, did he fall into a vat of chemicals and lose his mind, or is he? Did he just start acting like this and then? Well, off the I, rails, thought, or? I thought that they say something about Laffy being Joker's inspiration. That doesn't explain like a real origin story, but it's like he came across that stuff while he was Jack, somehow, and then became a bad guy and that's like the character that he took on. Well they they mentioned that at one point though because Jack says Joker knows all that I know. It doesn't work the other way around. Mm-hmm. So they do sort of explain that a little bit. Mm. But it's still the idea that he found Laffy Arkham, came up with the idea for Joker. Is this a guy who changed and became two people in one body? Or did he just start acting like the Joker? And then, like, where's the split personality coming from? Yeah, I don't know. The fact that inside him still is Jack Napier, but Jack Napier became him. I guess that could have been 
the other issue that turned into a Mr. Freeze subplot, you know. <laughs> yeah, they could have explained that in there. I don't know. Well, and by the time you get to the end, it makes you think that there will be another one of these books. And obviously there's a continuation of this universe, so maybe yeah. that's something that gets kind of addressed at some point. Well, and Harley has her own spinoff of this right now. Exactly. So That takes place after this? Uh, as far as I know, yeah. So uh, who knows if they'll continue to develop the Jack Joker stuff at this point or not. But there's so much story here. Like, you can't blame them for not spelling it all out. Yeah. We have another line where Jack is also the audience perspective. The babies are brought in and he's like, Batman delivered my children, born where the Joker was born at Laffy's grave. Jesus, if that isn't dripping with irony, you know, it's like, look, guys, I know <laughs> it's a lot. Even at the very beginning, like, this sure is a big coincidence. Yeah. And then we'll just push that aside. <laughs> we acknowledged it. Accept it. <laughs> yeah. I'm with him in this, though. That was, that was a lot, too. Well, I'm going to take you with me. And then, oh, labor pains. Oh, okay. And he's like, look, I can get you the fuck out of here. I'm Batman. And she's like, I'll fucking cut your balls off. I'm not going anywhere. And he's like, oh, fine. I'll deliver your children. Okay. He's the best at everything. <laughs> he's the best midwife ever. Yeah, he's the, yeah, he's the best midwife. He's, yeah, he's the best at everything. So Ruth, dissatisfied with Azrael, flips the switch, and Bane comes in to kill him. This is sort of one of those things where the threat of Bane is not properly sold, but it's pretty fucking awesome when he gets decapitated. Holy fucking shit. That shot was jaw-dropping. I did not see that coming at all. With the flaming sword... Holy fuck. This has a degree of graphic violence that other Batman things do not have, and that is good to me. I like that Bane actually has the venom element in this, whereas I don't think he does in the last book. I think he's just, like, masked big guy. Well, it's still attached to his head as it's flying through the air. The cord yeah. is hanging and also cut in the same action shot. Like, that's fucking weird. It's great. The panel where he's going for, like, the backbreaker with the, like, low angle looking up and it looks like he's gonna um, take out Azrael or something. That's awesome. Yeah. And then the sword slash thing is super dope, too. Again, because of the speed lines and the motion that's implied from the head flying out in front of the body. It's just foul. I love it. Yeah. To say nothing of that awesome new suit. Oh, yeah, this is the first uh, we're getting of the Azbats uh, right afterward. Um, oh, no, you mean Stunning. you mean the Azrael suit. Um, the Azbat one, because it's like in a display case in Ruth's yes, office. Yes, yes, you're right, yeah. And then yeah, right afterward up, you just see it in the is when he first wears it, goes to Arkham, and fucking kills everyone. Like, yeah. God, what? Jonathan Crane, Killer Croc, kills Baby Doll, that is foul. Killer Croc has a different last name also, which is weird. Really? Yeah, his cell. Uh, yeah, it's is that what we're talking Jones. about, man? Oh, my God. Yeah. Wait, it says Hagen. Matt Hagen is Clayface. Some misprint. That's weird. Why would you do I that? I didn't, 
I didn't know some of the other ones, like the ventriloquist, what his real name was. Or like Poison Ivy says something else. I assume that's Poison Ivy, but it says a different name altogether. Yeah, this is right. It has uh, Weskler. That's the ventriloquist name. Penguin is killed. Sutton. Is that supposed to be Poison Ivy? Is Sutton? That's what I thought, because I don't know any other Suttons, but... Yeah, that's weird. I don't and know then any you other get redheads in the same is what I meant to say. And Nigma. Barbara. But yeah, this... Shut up. Okay, I get it, but I'm not always right. <laughs> this whole shit is awesome, though. I mean, it's just a double page... Yeah, the scene is amazing. Whew. Two things I like about that is the way that Two-Face's panel is oriented. It's like he's being skewered from the backside, but you're seeing it in a way where, like, the sword visually splits his face in yeah. half. And that's cool. And I don't know that it's really a thing. I'm possibly just thinking about it more than I should. But Croc gets like a sword to the mouth that like splits his mouth in half. Kind of Joker style, but without the slash. He's just getting a uh, sword to the mouth. But because I grew up watching older movies in the original King Kong, he battles a T-Rex in the very beginning. And that's how he kills it is by like splitting its mouth open. And because Croc looks so lizardy in this, that's what it made me think of. This is one of the best parts for me. I mean, you get this crazy. I love crazy people. It's so cool. <laughs> Watching death. I just yeah, mean, I got, I just I like it's one of the great things about a standalone story, though, is you can't do this in any other scenario where it's like, yeah, we're just going to kill 90% of the main characters in this universe. And this crazy two-page spread, and then you turn, well, at the bottom, you get this big close-up of Joker, and he's like, oh, thinning the competition are we you know and like (laughs) he loves it and then you turn the page and his answer is to like did they just let you walk into this place or some shit like that you know and it's the asbat suit the flaming sword a whole page of this in the firelit fucking suit he says i'm batman and that's the end of the issue holy fuck now it's getting good i like because that condenses like you could do this in the regular Batman universe, but it would be like a hallucination yeah. or ghosts or something like that. Where this condenses the whole idea of like Azrael, he's like, I'm a better Batman than you. I'm going to solve this problem you had for years. Yeah. You have all these weirdos. <laughs> I know how to stop them. I'm going to come in here and kill them with a sword. In that way, he is the Azrael from Nightfall. That's yes. funny. It's funny too to think that if he's continuing this stuff, like the way that it looks by the end of the book, that means in his future universe, all of these characters are dead. So what does his future <laughs> storyline include? Yeah, really. It's a uh, Cavalier, the pirate guy from Nightfall. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be a lot of deep cut. Yeah. Calendar man's going to show up again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, got, <laughs> go. it's got the three musketeers. And then there's a whole lot of that Catwoman, Batman romance that you've been looking yeah. for then. <laughs> the little taste of Harley Batman romance. I'm always into romance stories in general, especially in comic books. So Man, I would like to... Well, I want his sorry. Catwoman. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Catwoman, have... Harley Quinn, Batman, Love Triangle. Oh, Batman. my God. The, yeah. Now, that's a three-way. Yeah, that's a three-way. <laughs> but that, that is the... Talk about a trifecta. <laughs> 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 um, wow. But really, like, how cool does... How cool does... Murphy's Catwoman look. Like we haven't, cool we haven't gotten to... I bet that's what he's like holding out for, actually. I bet he's like three books in Catwoman drop because she hasn't been a part of any of this stuff. That's uh, true. He's going to give us some hot Selena Kyle action, I think. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. 
if there is a God. Well, back to what was happening in the story. Yep, everybody's dead. All the bad guys are dead. Blah, 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 blah. But then the next book <laughs> opens, continuing with that moment. Again, they're riding the momentum, and he's like, they really just let you in here because you're dressed like Batman? And then he looks over the rail, and there's just a pile of bodies everywhere, and he's like, oh, <laughs> I see. I wouldn't say let me in so much as I slaughtered everybody in this place. I also love that scene because it has my favorite, other than the, the uh, coat hanger joke, the uh, calling Mad Hatter Willow Ufgood. Who's the, that's um, in, uh, what's the? Is it Willow? Willow in the, yeah. Yeah, the movie Willow. He's the, Willow. Oh. He's the little guy. <laughs> yeah, he's nice. <laughs> Yeah, I That's don't. A good movie. I don't exactly know why he's still in this story, but Azrael should have just stabbed him with that sword. Also. Yeah, just killed <laughs> yeah. that little guy. All, all the characters that live Hatter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess that answers your question. He's going to be the primary villain in the next. Yeah, story. He yeah, there you such go. A critical role in the first book that he's he's going to be back for more. So, uh, Azrael and Joker team up to bomb the GTO kidnap Harley's babies and we see her suit up to track them down. There's a great showdown here where Batman uses the tech against Azrael. He's like, okay, I see what you're working with here. He cracks the smoke bombs thinking, oh, he's going to turn on the night vision or the infrared or whatever he's got, right? And then follows it with the flashbang. I thought that was great. This sort of side scene now where Harley is caught up to Joker. He's got the two babies like strapped on his chest like a baby Bjorn or whatever. And he is basically trying to kill himself, but he can't kill himself. Like, I don't know. I'm really feeling the tension at this part. I, I really like the way it's all wrapping up here at the end. Yeah, compared to the slow burn of the entire first chunk of this book. Yeah, I think it's one where the first two books are so much just laying the groundwork. But once you get into it, it, it really does take off. This part has a lot of the back and forth tension action going on, too, where Joker's kind of like begging to die. And then by the end of it, you have the mislead where the gun goes off, but you don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah. Only, only to have to come back around again. And he does end up getting shot. Just a cool back and forth. And again, Murphy making moves and making choices that we haven't seen before and stuff. And given the significance of a lot of these characters, he's just like, yeah, they're dead. They're dead. I mean, how many people does he kill in this book? Yeah, quite a bit. A ton. I mean, we always do spoilers here, everybody. So don't be shocked. But I mean, Joker goes out in a grand fashion here. He shows up while Azrael and Batman are fighting to sort of twist the knife a little bit and drop some knowledge about the whole history here. This is where we see how it all ties together and says, you know, Bakar killed Edmund Wayne, saying that the, the graffiti they found in that cell was written in blood and said, I am Edmund Wayne. So Bakar takes his identity, takes over Gotham Valley. Essentially, we see that Bruce is not technically a Wayne. He descends now from Bakar. Batman is stabbed in this scene, and then Harley shoots the Joker in the face. With his big old gun. Yeah. There's a lot to say about this. I would say that 
the really nice scene right afterward when she has to shoot Joker and she's at his body and then Batman actually shows up and comforts her and says uh, says to Jack, she'll be okay. Like making pretty big implications about wherever that relationship had hinted. And we're going to see more of that in the spinoff, I guess. But then the other thing you mentioned that sort of misdirect when the gun goes off between Jack and Harley, we're not sure yeah. what's going on. I sort of think it should have been then, but they had to give you the grand reveal because there was really no consequence of that shot going off. Nothing happened. Yeah, like cut back to somebody like holding their side or anything. Yeah, nothing really occurred there. I felt like that should have been the thing, and you could still play off, you know, him comforting her in the same way. The shot of her shooting the Joker, that's kind of like a weird MC Escher look to it. It does. Because it looks like she's pointing directly ahead of her. But then when they show up from behind him getting shot in the head, it's like he's standing on a ledge that's up You're above right. and to the left. Yeah. And I, I can't be like a mistake because, again, they probably spent like a month making that page. But it just is weird looking. That's true. And, and the shot right above it, she kicks Azrael off the roof. And then she is pointed directly at Jack. That's when he says, you won't do it. You don't have the balls, basically. But then when it cuts, they're on different surfaces. So it definitely appears that they're on the same surface in the top of that page, and then it looks different when... Is it possible that it's just like that gun is so powerful that it launched him into the air, and it looks like... He has one foot on, on the ground no, still. His, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. His foot's on the other side. I think that that's just like probably what Murphy should have done is made Batman and Harley on an even lower level and then the angle of her gun a little bit steeper, whereas he's clearly on like a level that must be, it's hip height above her, but it looks like she's holding her gun out straight. Yeah. It's just a confusing looking panel. I think that it's just drawing as hard and perspective as hard, and just, <laughs> I think it's just a rough one to pull off. Now, if they That's were fair. two cars... Considering all the rest of it, like how the rest of the the stone and the stairs and the shadow and everything looks like it's freaking awesome. It's just yeah. that part I think is a little tricksy. I'm just saying if they were two cars, they would be perfectly aligned in perspective. Yeah. yeah. Everything would be perfect. All the angles. Everything. Yeah. For sure. Uh, the next book opens with a young Bruce and he's looking at those swords on the wall, you know, blaming himself for his parents getting killed and Alfred saying, well, look, if you think you can bring yourself to go to the funeral, then I think I can bring myself to maybe show you how to use these fancy swords, you know, and plant the seeds of, of the Batman, which I really like. You know, they do quite a bit of that stuff on the show Gotham, where they're showing a young Bruce being mentored and trained by Alfred. And then we go into the uh, shot where, again, he's staring at those swords crossed on the wall. He's with Harley and her babies, and he's like, wait, you fucking knew about this? <laughs> you know, she's like, eh, didn't want to upset you and all. And they do a, a blood test, and he is a Wayne. Bruce is not. Ruth's files, as they go through her office, reveal that um, Wayne Corp was her biggest client, and that's why she had so much invested in him not revealing his identity. <laughs> now, for me, 
you mentioned the Court of Owls. That hit me a lot harder than this because who gives a fuck about some ancestry test from 300 years ago? If you were to tell him this DNA test proved that you are not your parents' child and you were adopted or some shit, like, wow, that's significant. I know those people. They mean the world to me. But if it's like some deep fucking descendant from God knows how long ago, well, who gives a fuck? Like, my parents are still my parents, my family, everything I know about myself is more or less true. What do I care about this pirate fucking standoff from 300 years ago? I, that, I don't know how that means anything to him. The way I would look at it is that to a guy like Batman who's obsessed with symbolism and honor and duty and doing the right thing by his family and making up for mistakes that maybe aren't even his, but he thinks of them as his or his burden to repair that the idea that not only is he not a Wayne, but he is descended from the people that made the city bad in the first place weighs on him much more than like the court of owls. And I love that book, but the idea again, that it's just like this secret bad organization that's always been there. And he never found him, even though he's the best at finding things until right now. And then once he fights them, they're actually not even that much of a hurdle because they all get killed by their own guy. And then it's just a superhero battle. Like, I get what you're saying, but I think for Batman, the idea that he is fundamentally part of the problem with the city ties in with Sean Murphy's vision of Batman being a guy who's like, oh, being Batman is wrong. This was, uh, it was the wrong choice to make this whole time. Possibly done more bad than good. But what would make more sense is if he had been on a path that was destructive and his ancestors were actually on a path to do good. Because in this direction, it's meaningless to me. Like, how many people have shitty parents and then use that fuel to turn out to be better? I'm going to do better. You know, I had alcoholic, drug addict parents, and now I am abstaining from that, and I'm leading a sober life, right? Many, 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 many people have that version where they can turn it around. Why would you feel worse about yourself for doing better? I think it's if you had parents that were really good, and then you thought you were going to do something good with your life. And if it kept turning out that you weren't and you were sucking and you were doing bad and you were doing damage. And then on top of it, you found out those weren't your parents. Your parents actually were shitheads. So, okay, that would do it. If it turned out that the Waynes were not what they seemed, Thomas and Martha, that would be a worthy reveal. But for me to go through all of this fucking 1600s uh-huh. shit and then for it to be, well, so what? Who's going to get mad at their Ancestry.com results? Like, no, who he fucking is, cares? He's, that's who he is. Uh, but, but that's what the other characters say to him. They say, but it doesn't change who your parents were. It doesn't change what they did. That's part of the story. But to him, the way he thinks, the way he is, that is part of it. Because he already is like has serious issues with himself and the path that he's chosen. So that's just kind of fuel on that fire. But the people trying to talk him out of it are saying exactly what you're saying. Your parents are still those people who did good. Yeah. I think that if you're the person who has belief in some religion or something, like your ego and your personality and everything that you are ends up being defined by some of these things and you want to think that you have a solid foundation about stuff. And like Ben said, Batman is like functionally unstable. So if he's putting a bunch of weight on this stuff, I'll possibly misplaced but if his entire character is based off like family and history and all this stuff 
then for a person who's slightly skewed anyways, this could be kind of foundation shattering to him. That's how I look at it. But I get if that doesn't resonate with you because you don't care about yeah, it, it makes sense, but like in emotional terms, I just don't get how that would be at least an earth-shattering revelation. It might be something to contemplate and to keep you up at night, but is it really some big fucking like, oh my God, this changes everything? For Sean Murphy's Batman, yeah, I think so. The regular Batman that we're more familiar with, I don't think would be hit that hard by it. But this guy is not that Batman. He seems more emotional, more unstable. He doesn't seem quite as good at being Batman. This affects this version of the character. Yeah, I think Murphy's whole thing, he's not your ideal Batman, Sam, but I think this whole dude is having like everything about his existence being rocked in the last couple books, and this is just some extra stuff. Super far removed, obviously, but it's just another thing. Batman's not who he was, and he wasn't doing what he thought he was doing in more or less any form at all. You thought you were the heir to the city? You thought you were the defender to the city? No, you're the heir to the people who stole the city and started the initial inequality of it and put all the poor people in backport and killed the real ones. Like That's your legacy. Yeah, for sure. If you found out that your like, descendants in America or something like owned slaves, that doesn't necessarily affect you now, but it could really kind of shake your core values. And I think that this Batman is just affected by that stuff, especially in a world where if this is at all connected to some of the previous versions of Gotham, like Gotham is very rich in its old history and stuff. And so this is like kind of terrible from the very beginning. I think I'm realizing the more you guys try to uh, get me to come around here is that it's just me and my perspective on like, individuality and the value that I place on that and how little I care about other things like uh-huh. nationalism or... Or what your ancestors did. Yeah, like, and so I think it's just me that is missing the point here because I can only think of it in logical terms and it doesn't... But I mean, even that, just this character is like, he's not, he's super smart, but he's a fucking mess. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's stunted. He saw some bad stuff as a young person and now his brain is messed up. Oh, shit, that's what Batman's... Fuck, I, I didn't even know. He doesn't think as good as you, Captain Logic. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a scared of bats, so I think everyone else is a scared of bats, too. I'm going to so. beat people up because of it. Man, when you guys put it that way, it makes me really more excited about the character than ever before. <laughs> I'm a scared of bats, man. <laughs> it's a me, Mario. In the same scene with Harley, he says... One of my favorite lines, Batman's completely taken over my life. I can't even shake someone's hand without imagining three different ways of breaking their elbow. It shows kind of the Frank Miller influence in this of like, he's at this turning point of like going down that path of just being totally reckless. He's still doing the right things. He's stopping Barbara from using the gun and whatever, but it's showing that he's on the precipice of being like, really fucked up we already saw him lose it on joker in the first book and then he decides to uh just go public he comes to barbara and asks for forgiveness and then he commandeers montoya's like announcement like i am your new commissioner and blah 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 and he's like shut up bitch the men are talking it's terrible 
And he commits to dissolve his company into a nonprofit, providing housing, schools, scholarships, all of these great things. A lot is really said in this speech. What did you guys make of this big move that he makes at the end? Again, I think it fits this version of Batman because both of these books have been showing that like Batman's awesome, but in this universe, it doesn't work. Even though I'm sure there's tons of people on an individual level who be like, yeah, Batman saved me. Batman saved my whole family. Batman saved this. In his mind, it's like everything I have, Harley showed me in the first book that there was a better way to solve these problems. And now I really have to take that last step and stop being Batman. I guess what I would say to that is that, again, you can say it's just within this universe, but if the premise of the first book was that Batman does more damage than good, and this is the big idea here. We're going to show you he's not necessary. But then he becomes necessary because, well, the guy telling you this is the fucking Joker, and he's still doing Joker shit. Uh So you got to do it. And then in this one, it's like, no, really, though, we're doubling down. Batman is no good for anyone, and uh, we need to end this. Is that the big takeaway from this whole universe then? Is just that Batman doesn't work and we don't like it? I think so. Because I think of that first scene in White Knight of him driving over the roof. Yeah. Like that right there, maybe that is in line with some of the movie stuff. But like regular Batman wouldn't do that. That's the gimmick of regular Batman is that he will always find the way to solve the problem or save it while rarely causing massive collateral damage and all that. Sean Murphy's Batman is not that Batman. He fucks things up. He's constantly breaking things and destroying things. Yeah. This Batman doesn't work. He's like almost all-star Batman, but minus the giggling and a little more eloquent. All-star Batman doesn't care. Yeah. Or like Dark Knight Returns Batman is like, all he cares about is the job. He's not even trying to like make it better. He's like, I just do this. Well, I don't care what happens. Granted, he wouldn't have the benefits of like the technology if he didn't have the money. But if this Batman wasn't rich, he would just be harming a bunch of stuff because he was so convinced that all the bad guys were bad guys that he needed to take out. But he would just be kind of a misplaced dude who was actually just destroying the city. Yeah. I don't know, because you have a good point of saying, like, this is its own universe, but it's supposed to be derived from the Batman we know. Yeah. But it's not. I don't know. That's what I... (laughs) (laughs) I feel like fundamentally it's not. I'm not looking for a takeaway anyways. I'm just trying to have a good time here. <laughs> this is nothing serious. I don't want to marry you. I, yeah, I don't, not, I, don't, I don't read all this expecting to learn a bunch of life lessons or anything. I just want well, I, think Sean, I think Sean Murphy wrote it with some kind of message in mind. Well, that's what I'm saying. Evan's going, why are you always asking me these questions about the, the story? I don't know. Like, It looks cool. It does. That's, 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 that's what I'm here for. <laughs> so then he says, look... I'm going to hang this shit up. You know who I am. But I got to take this motherfucker down. I need everybody off the streets. And then we get this beautiful two-page spread. He goes, there's still one working Batmobile, and it's always been my favorite. And once again, the climax is the fucking Keaton Mobile in action, and I am fucking happy again. Yeah. And the line of, let's get nuts. Let's get, I can't even say it. You can't say it correctly now. I can't, yeah. Yeah, in the end of that fucking two-page spread, yeah. he says... That's like a twofer. Batmobile and the line. 
yeah, exactly. You get, yeah, it's a good one. This is like probably the biggest Easter egg and then the other one being a couple pages before that. Yeah, he goes, this one's always been my favorite. And Montoya is like, are you nuts? This is decades old. And he hops in and just goes, let's get nuts. I fucking love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Sean Murphy. I take back everything I ever said before this. (laughs) I love you. I'll read all of your convoluted stories. (laughs) Just draw more of my favorite cards. That's all I care about. Yeah, that's great. I also like the unmasked Batman in Gotham Square standing outside the Batmobile. I think that's a great shot, too. All the Gotham Square stuff reminded me of Nightfall. Like the mm. Bane and Azrael conflict in the Gotham Square. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe you guys were saving it for the end, but right before that, you have that full page spread of Asbat kind of like falling backwards through the air that is a yes. straight up Easter egg from Nightfall. I actually photoshopped a side-by-side of the, the Kelly Jones with this because... Nice. Yeah, recreating that cover is just, oh my God. Well, it wasn't even the cover. It was like page one or something of the book. But yeah. historically, that was one of my favorite shots in Nightfall. And uh, it's absolutely my favorite shot in this. Like, my God. Yeah. I think that that's like the full reveal of the costume in yeah. Nightfall. That might be like the first page of that final showdown scene uh, at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. I blew up a picture of it and hung it up on the ceiling in me and Amber's bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) I feel about that strongly, too. Yeah. So Batman disables all the GTO's cars. They're in pursuit, and he just hits a switch. It's kind of like Batman versus Superman when he gets out of the uh, car. And all the paparazzi like, oh, shit, it's Bruce Wayne. And he just, like, clicks a button, and all their cameras go off. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. fuck. But he does that to everyone he's working with and <laughs> their cars just stall on cars the road shit again i he's love it doing this kind of thing yep he does this sort of batman returns move where Azrael jumps on the back of the batmobile and he blasts him with the turbine i fucking love it well that whole part too regarding like well-conveyed action it's very obvious that he's like trying to fire the thruster in his face but just the car tugging him along because of momentum. He's catching up to it. The single panel where he slams on the brakes, Azrael continues and slams into the back of the car. And then he immediately punches the gas again to throw the thrusters in his face. Like I'm not confused at all about what's going on right here. And it's awesome. And then he goes, throws it into reverse and backs into the plane. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. And just Which a- is also awesome. Batman's like, Oh, I'm not going forward. I guess I'm going back. <laughs> Yeah, it's just this big, epic, fiery showdown. He's got those claws on his gloves, and he's holding Batman by the collar, which is great. We finally get to see a a practical use for that awesome collar that he has. I love it. And then uh, we see uh, Dick show up. Batman's got a gun in his hand. And he's like, God damn it, what are you doing? This isn't you. He's just kind of wrapped his hands around it slowly and locked him. <laughs> exactly. He's making love. He's, he's, right, he's right at home. This is Sam's favorite Batman right here. He's a well-armed militia man. <laughs> I just, I really like this scene. I mean, it, uh, Dick has uh, got tears through his domino mask, and he's like, you're my father. I still believe in you, and we both know who the better man is. 
No, Batman is telling him that he thinks Nightwing is the better man. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's like, that's okay. Still, don't kill him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Nightwing takes out Azrael with his car. And unless Batman jumped out of Azrael's grasp in that part, because I'm sure he's holding him pretty tightly, then I would think that that car would hit both of them standing together. But somehow Batman is not hit by the car. Hey, man, drawing's hard. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's obviously a matter of perspective, and I'm not a professional. If they're facing opposite directions, Bruce probably would have been able to see it. But yeah, I would love if they had sort of showed the action in that. Yeah, he breaks his grip or something. Like, I'm thinking of all the times that you and I have slow danced, Sam, <laughs> and, and how tightly I hold you. And, <laughs> and if a car had ever tried to take us out, then we both would have died instantly. Now I'm thinking about that. Yeah. And in that dialogue, right before he gets hit by the car, you know, he's like, I thought Batman didn't kill. Like, who are you? And then Batman flips it and uses the Bane line, like, I'm your reckoning. And in fact, I wonder if Azrael may have said that in the original uh, Nightfall. You're not Batman. Who are you? I'm not a Wayne. You're a Wayne. Oh, my God. What's going on right now? Are we brothers? Are we brothers? Like, oh, my God. Should we kill each other? So then the Batmobile turns into a boat for some reason, and a uh, sword fight ensues. And then the illest move ever, I wrote in all caps, he holds down Azrael's head into the Batmobile and says, Shields. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's serving up the nostalgia in heavy helpings, and I love it. I think that whole thing is awesome. Rather than having separate vehicles, he has a car that transforms all of the Batwiener. And again, the action is like very obvious. He, he drives off the cliff. He hits the button, takes three panels to show how the car is transforming in midair and then lands as a boat. I think that whole thing is dope. And then Batman, no cape with two swords on the far right. That is pretty righteous. <laughs> so yeah, then he cuts Asriel's throat. That was surprising. Turns out that Edmund's daughter was found to be carrying by a, a prostitute and they hid her away using the name Valley after Gotham Valley because it'd be a little too on the nose to call her uh, Mrs. Gotham. Um, but I like assigning an origin to his name. I do like that. I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. Bruce turns himself into the police and much like the uh, switcheroo after... Uh, Batman is thrown off the balcony in Nightfall when we have Jean-Paul and Alfred as the paramedics. We have Harley dressed as a cop in the driver's seat. She's like, come on, I'll get you out of here. And he's like, no, I got to deal with this. It's all right. I hadn't thought of that comparison. That's cool. Then she draws a little heart on the window. Yeah. I cried. Did you? I cried more. Shut up. We're not comparing. We, we both cried. That's no. You're going to tell an anecdote of you guys slow dancing? You just leave me out of it <laughs> over here like I'm eight miles away? That's... No. You're the one who's driving well, into us with your car. <laughs> she was a car? Is that what yeah. you said? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm back into it. I'm okay. That's yeah, pretty good. I, I, I mean, I think the thing, like you and I haven't like slow danced all that much so much as we usually like clubbing, like shaking it up, you know, really moving around. We're not. But it's no, not the way that it, me and Sam hold each other. Okay. It takes three to tango 
and hit one of you with the car. That's the phrase. Yeah. <laughs> That's math. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Bruce ends in jail awaiting his trial. And then we see his visitor is someone who I heard was a much more significant part of the story and basically written out because there was too much going on. But we see this person is Jason Todd looking very much like Colonel Kane or something. Bruce says, I want to talk. And that's where we end. That kind of confused me in that. So in the last book, they reveal that he had always assumed that Joker killed him. Like they never found him, never found the body. But it made me think that like, so this time, now that he knew he was alive, he told Montoya, it's like, oh, I need you to go find Jason Todd. I know he's still out there. But it seems to me, again, unless you want to chalk this up to this not being the Batman we know, without ever finding the body, he would have always had like searches going out there for Todd and Jason Todd. If there was a Jason Todd in the military, that he would have found that out at some point and then investigated on his own. I just realized <laughs> that this got 10 times worse when you pointed out that they had addressed Jason Todd in the first one and that he was basically dead or unknown, implied dead, because... I forgot about that and was thinking they're introducing him for the first time. Mm. Nah. Why? Yeah, I forgot yeah, about weird. that too. I, I he, just don't, he doesn't even have an alias. It just is. Like, yeah. Batman just can't find a Jason Todd anywhere. <laughs> looking for these two specific words. It's just nowhere. Well, and again, maybe it's this Batman. He's like, he's too busy fighting people all night and then reading crime reports during the day to do anything else. Mm. But it was weird to me. I like Jason Todd coming back, but that was just strange. Do we talk about Von Fries before we go into this stuff? It doesn't feel important to the story at all. Yeah. I basically summed it up just by saying that uh, Victor's father was sort of coerced into working for the Nazis, and his Jewish partner was killed in the process, and we reassign value or origin to Nora because Nora was the child of this man, and he said... Here's my baby, like, take care of my baby to Victor, who's witnessing this. So I, I do like that. I like the scene where they use the freeze ray on the Nazis, and then he's, yeah. like, breaking apart their bodies. Like, that was fucking brutal. And that, for some reason, as he's explaining this for the first time in front of Nora, that's how she hears about this as a grown person. So... It's a strange little aside, but it was cool. And Bruce is being born in the next room. And that was the other thing, <laughs> is that Mr. Freeze's father or whatever is helping uh, Bruce be born into the world, right? And we already saw Batman birthing Joker and Harley's kids into the world. And I was like, what is with these weird rivals helping each other as midwives? This is strange. <laughs> It's just that's a big coincidence, and then push it aside. That's <laughs> all. <laughs> Is that a weird I think fetish? It, it creates continuity between the two stories. Tell me what you got for Easter eggs that we haven't already talked about. I only have one, so I'm going to say it first before you say anything. That Edmund Wayne has a huge belt buckle and a little knife right next to it, and that's exactly the same as this version of Batman's costume. He has a huge belt buckle and a little nice. knife right next to it. Nice. Another kind of misdirected thing, even though they're not related. You're supposed to immediately visually connect the two. That's cool. Nice. Mine were the obvious Batmobile and that Asbat full page. In the scene where the prisoners are being transferred to the new location, 
you have a, a couple pages that show the vehicles that they're being loaded into and the vehicles resembled like the brown SWAT truck van things mm. in Batman the Animated Series. Yep. Very similar in style. Not like an Easter egg really, but in that same page, two faces front facing and his prison uniform has a line down it and he actually has two name tags. He has a Harvey and a Two-Face name tag, and I thought that was funny. <laughs> that is random. I didn't know that. In the random pictures where one of them is like a the cover with Asriel and his two buddies on it, but you have like the silhouette of Wayne Manor and like the fence and the gate, and the gate has little Batman bat heads on mm. like two of the little posts. That's cool. That's all I got. I got a few more. The beginning when he stabs the warden, when Joker stabs the warden, he refers to it as his disappearing pen trick. Oh, nice. That's sort of like Heath Ledger. Yep. Obviously, we get the throwback uh, Batmobiles, which we've already seen. When Batman regains control of the Batmobile, it is very much like Batman Returns in that instead of Penguin's face, you have Azrael on the display and Batman punches through it when he regains control. The nightfall bat signal is seen when Azrael is out on the town. It's up in the sky. That really narrow, fewer lines, the night's end um, bat signal was used in the background. That was cool. Oh, here's one we didn't mention. Holy biblical flood, Batman. Yeah, yeah, nice. Thanks for that. And then the last one I noticed was Bullock refers to Batman as Cowlhead, which he had said on Batman the Animated Series in the episode Lockup. Nice. And you know it's not a coincidence because Sean Murphy has a podcast about the animated series. Yeah, and I happened to watch that episode after reading this the first time. So when I read it the second time, I was like, wait a second. Oh, <laughs> I actually I had one other that, up. that I remembered, and it's kind of what you already said, how they show Batman's shadow as Batman. When Bruce is in the cell meeting Jason Todd, oh, yeah. his, his first shadow is a regular shadow, and then it's Batman after that. And then when you see both of their shadows are reflected on the wall as Batman and Robin. Nice. Mm-hmm. And he's like Robin as a little guy, and he's yeah. Batman big body. Pros? I kind of did yeah, a... pirate backstory. Yeah, <laughs> more swashbucklers. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. You're being sincere, though, right? Not really. I didn't dislike. I was just interrupting okay. him to say the thing you would dislike the most. Okay, okay. <laughs> more fencing. <laughs> more rapiers. <laughs> I need more ghost, unexplained ghost stories. <laughs> Mine is just little bullet points, because in a lot of ways, this is just everything that I liked about White Knight. Just more of it and a little bit different, but pretty much all in regards to the art. It had a big adventure story, but it didn't have like the whole slew of all the, like the rogues gallery, huge battle finale thing at the end. It did, but the battle was more of a two person personal thing, but it still felt like a big adventure story to me. Once you included all those elements from the past. Uh, So I wrote, Big adventure story, plus the past action. He kept doing his little mini panels where he just 
addresses like a little element of the action, even if it's just Bruce and Harley holding hands. Like this yeah. doesn't need a full panel. It just needs my little bitty square guy. So he does a lot of that. And I think it's really cool. The speed lines. I love the design on his bat bike. I love the Asbat suit redesign. I was kind of blown away in this one by all of this detailed tech elements, but the cityscape, the vehicles, <laughs> the chance to draw random pirate ships. So like, here's this, you know, period piece, multi-sailed boat is awesome. The detail on the weapons, like the firearms, the pairing of him and Matt Hollingsworth is just perfect for them. And <laughs> for the first time, thinking about it slightly differently after we finished reading long Halloween and dark victory. And my whole thing was kind of like sale to art. And I don't really know how I feel about it, but by the time I got to the end after hearing sales justification, like this is just what I like. I like thin lines and I like black shapes and that's, I like the contrast. Yeah. And I realized that Murphy is doing his version of the same thing. Totally. Like all of his incredibly like linear, super thin line backgrounds and stuff. And then the dark shapes. It's just kind of two versions of the same thing. And so again, I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. I can be more accepting of stuff in general, but this doesn't make me want anything but more of this stuff. Yeah, totally. I love the Azrael Batsuit. That is the coolest thing. I mean, like we talked about before, the original one's awesome. Yeah. This is just an even cooler, more exciting take on that suit. And overall, just the dynamic of Azrael as a replacement for Batman and as vengeance towards Batman in this story, it's really, really good. I like that it focused less on the Joker and more on that. Yeah. And and as you said, with Sean Murphy's, just the way he draws Gotham, the whole setting for the scene where Azrael takes out Gordon, the way that is, is where it's like they're on a city street outside of a bar but that alley overlooks like a 20 foot drop into another alley somewhere else. But it wasn't like the Joker scene where he gets shot. We're like, I believe that this was a space that exists. It's just all crammed in and multi-layered and mm-hmm. really good scale. Or the shots of when Bruce is diving in the bay of Gotham in the background illuminated. And then just the hills around the reservoir. Really, really nice. The single panel in the end after he's, I think he's either just, cut Azrael's throat or he just kind of repaired him, but he's like silently standing on this boat or raft or his vehicle or something like out in the water. And then again, there's like the city in the background is really striking. I had another thing that I wanted to add just kind of in regards to not the Von Fries story itself, but just the significance of it and how cool I think it is that Sean Murphy talks about how, Klaus's work was like hugely influential on him. And I was just thinking like, how cool is that to meet and work with and become friends with somebody who is like so inspirational to you and your work and your future career. And then to collaborate on stuff. That's very cool to me just to picture being him and being able to work with somebody with that significance in my life is very cool. And his style being old school and sort of Millerish, And I like the fact that Hollingsworth also colored that stuff, Yeah, but gave it a totally different treatment. That's so awesome as a colorist or as a person to like, this style needs this and this style needs this. And just to give it what it needs. 
including the elements of like those dot matrix kind of screen tone patterns. Yeah. That's nowhere. I mean, it's very minimally in white Knight, but it's like very prevalent in this story. And then the last thing, just, I think it's really awesome that Murphy's had the opportunity to do these other things, but then to, to draw an icon like Batman must be just an honor and a privilege for people who are in that industry. To oh like, yeah. Like Ryan Otley doing invincible and now doing Spider-Man. Like, yeah. Oh my yeah. God, you know, I got to be a part of that character's history. That is so cool. And for Murphy to have had like such a significance and made such an impact that people would be like, all right, dude, you actually have free reign and now you get to create your own tangent to this universe. Like it was already awesome that you got to put your style on this character. Yeah. And now you're actually getting to take the reins and, you know, work with uh, the other artist is named Matteo Scalera, who has a very mm -hmm. similar style to Murphy. That's just like stacked awesome things on top of another. And like now, you know, take the wheel, do your thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I wish that there was enough room that Von Fries could have been incorporated and almost incorporated into the first one, honestly, because we had Fries in that first one. And I would have liked a little more context there at the time, but... Mm. It couldn't fit in here, so it had to be a one-shot. I guess the alternative would be if they made other things that were just a one-shot. You know, like if you had a one-shot of Harvey Dent and a one-shot of Victor Freeze and whatever, you know, like I think that'd be These great. These characters that he's already killed, so we're never going to see him again Yeah. in current time. Yeah, that'd, be, that'd mm -hmm. be really cool. I'd be down for that. I'd buy him for sure. Well, my pros, Asbats, Batmobiles, I think the artwork is even better on this and more consistent. It's just stunning to look at. That will lead me into my obvious cons in that I feel about this book in a similar way that I feel about All-Star in that I read that book 90% for the art. <laughs> you know, It's just uh, some of Jim Lee's best. And I feel the same about this of like this looks awesome to me and has really great effective moments but also like a third of it i don't care about the 1600s flashbacks i don't care about him revealing his identity over and over again so it loses its impact you know ruth coming in and threatening him and doing all this shit and he just like never follows up to find out who that is some of the dialogue of the elites, the elites, the elites are like fucking, oh, you had this made for me? That means you even know my bra size. And like, ooh. I and like just that like, line. Dude, there's so much, <laughs> so much about the writing that I just could not get into at all. He's the world's greatest detective. No, he's just staring at her rack all day long. I know, but he knows, you know, he knows <laughs> stuff. He's smart. <laughs> It's just, I don't know. It's beautifully drawn, but there's just a litany of things wrong with the writing, in my opinion. Mm. You guys? Basically the same as you. It's bogged down, but I think I benefited from that first time reading it, like without taking notes or doing anything, just reading it, because I can just kind of power through those other sections and absorb them, but then kind of sit longer on the stuff that I did like. It's overwrought in a lot of ways, and the writing can be a little weird, but I love that broadside line. 
That's so funny. I love the I love two lines. Abortions and I love Ross. Yeah. <laughs> the two lines I thought you would hate were your favorites. I like it because it's the Batman Harley meet cute romance subplot, which I'm all for. And then that joke is just so fucked up, but so stupidly silly that it's cool too. I feel like you wish Batman was like a rom com with a little bit of action. <laughs> yeah, I feel. Have I not said that out loud? <laughs> I don't think so, but that's that's what I gather from our interactions. I don't have any pros. I'm sure, or I don't have any cards. <laughs> that whole list I was actually. Just I don't have any cons. Anything. It's like not even on my radar. I don't care. I had so much fun looking at it and reading it that the other stuff does not register to me. That's great. I remember when you texted me that you had finished reading it and you're like, oh my God, this shit is so fucking cool. And you started listing off literally the things I hate about it. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'm going to save this for the conversation uh, <laughs> that we record. <laughs> but I'm glad you like it because again, sometimes I'm like, well, I think this stuff's cool and worth talking about. Hopefully they like it. And the fact that you liked it way more than me and I still enjoyed it a second time. I was like, all right, cool. I don't resent you for making me watch that stupid Robin episode. It's okay to talk about things you don't like. Yeah, I remember specifically you in the beginning talking about the good and the bad and how yeah. this was all about all of it. I still resent you for the uh, Robin's Reckoning comments. <laughs> That's cool. You don't have to hold that against me, man. But I am going to hold yourself against you. <laughs> trifecta detective stuff what do we got more flashlight action and um <laughs> digging around for bones uh yeah. oh i like that panel a lot too where they they give it like the hot green treatment but it's like an x-ray that we're getting to see or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. like him above ground with the skeleton below ground that's very cool yeah. you see her little twin skeletons in her abdomen <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. True. oh my god yeah spoiler it's <laughs> a lot of bones in there <laughs> I had that uh, he solves the case incorrectly. There's a people, lot of little people like... People tell him the answer over and over. Because he's like, <laughs> yeah. I already know everything there is to know about this Joker. And he's like, do you though? Well, that's what you think. I'm, I won't correct you, but... Murphy integrates a lot of the little mini panels to be like, Batman's watching a video and he notices Asriel's pin. Or something. Yeah, you the know, crest. Like, oh, like he's taking note of stuff. There's a lot of little things like that. I noticed that um, cool tech stuff that he would do, like the backup tracking devices or disabling the GTO's cars and little things like that that are, I mean, it's sort of gadgetry, but it's also him thinking multiple steps ahead. Yeah, he's picturing out the scenario and stuff and he's making moves as it plays out. I thought the whole early on interrogation and investigation of the warden was pretty detective-y. That's Both true. him, like, pressing mm -hmm. him, like, where did this happen? Oh, because the blood splatter on this is completely wrong. It would be all over the walls in here. Like, that was very detective That's true. Yeah, and that was a scene where Gordon wasn't having any luck, and he came in and was able to actually get him to talk without really doing much. You know, I like that. Mm -hmm. Or the scuba diving in the reservoir is, like, him... Yep. physically working as a detective to go and scope that stuff out. Yeah, definitely. We don't get to see a lot of scuba diving Batman. <laughs> Ninja? Except in action figures. 
Yeah, every single fight with Ezreal is like. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't win every like aspect of those fights, but his ability to hang on and ultimately win. Yeah, and I still yeah, think the coolest move ever was that Shields move. <laughs> yeah. I like that he slit his throat. That's crazy for Batman to cut someone's throat. They make some very bold choices in this. He slits Asriel's throat. I mean, they killed Gordon. They killed Joker. Like, rogues they killed gallery. the whole rogues gallery. Bang. I mean, holy fucking yeah. shit. You know, it's like him going... Well, I never thought I'd get to do a sequel. I'll probably never get to do one after this. Let's just fucking go for it, you know? Yeah. I killed the whole universe off. <laughs> <laughs> Follow that up. <laughs> Trauma? Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's kind of like with White Knight where it's not so much about his parents' death, but it's just his, the burden he's placed on himself to be the hero of the city and that especially this version of him, he doesn't think he's doing a very good job and that he's not even who he thought he was. Instead, it just is his persona, and you're seeing how it dictates his thoughts and his actions. But I do think that Murphy does a good job. He looks very somber to me a lot of times when you see him yeah. without his mask on. He doesn't look worn down. He just looks kind of devoid of stuff. His eyes look kind of sad, and, and his like a lot of his expressions are very flat. And I think that you know maybe that's just like where he's living in general. Is just like he's just kind of in the doldrums. He's in a bad spot. Yeah, I think aside from the forced storyline about legacy being tied into this trauma thing, I think more so he is crushed by the shame and the failure of the first story mm -hmm. and still trying to grapple with that and understand his role at this point and what that means going forward. For sure. Cutting throats. That's his new thing. Just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't shoot him. I'm going to slit his throat. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what he's been missing the whole time, obviously. He, like, he needed a gun and he needed a couple of swords the whole time. Like, and isn't that the worst cold. time to yeah. kill someone is like right after you go on TV and you tell everyone, hey, by the way, this is who I am, and then you decide to kill people? That is the worst order of those things. <laughs> like, fuck. I feel like if you're going to start doing that, it'd be better to do it while it's a secret. Well, you're anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of stuff is just changing for him really fast, and he's kind of struggling to keep up. You know, he's, he's got to grab a sword. I don't know. Do you guys change with the times? <laughs> yeah, now we're caught up to the 1600s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rating? I give it a five. I was going to give it a five, and I think I still might, but Sam, your take on it has brought me to a little more criticism of it that I hadn't thought of. I think I'll still call it a five because that first time I read it, I was just on board. But but I think all your criticisms are very valid. And I can understand yeah. them drawing you away from it. Wow. Thank you so much for validating my opinion. You really care. Yeah. No problem. You're welcome. That's what we're all about it. here on <laughs> the Bat Fanatic Podcast. I was like, wow, is, each other. is Ben being sincere or is he just like placating me here? I can't tell. I won't go into detail. I sincerely believe what I just said. <laughs> yeah, it's valid. Your negativity has seeped into our souls and you've tainted <laughs> our mindset. I appreciate it. That means a lot, really. Yeah. Well, Your work has affected me, personally. <laughs> Ben's right. It's not like the things you said aren't valid. But to me, it's just overridden by how much fun I had looking at it and reading it.
Yeah. I mean, I've been there many times where it's like, yeah, we talked about a couple problems that this incarnation had, but yeah. my pros list is huge and my cons list was nothing. So I got to give it the five. Why not? I loved it. You know, in this case, yeah. I am really three and a half, maybe even a three, because I love the way it looks. But much like you acknowledged in Nightfall, some of this is just torture for me to get through. Like I, I, you know, when people say like, I couldn't care less, I could not care less about the Edmund Bacar stuff. It didn't have any consequence. Even when it built up and had the final reveal, I was like, that is the big thing. Like that meant nothing to me at all. So if all that shit paid off in the end, then I'd be like, ah, okay. It's still worth it. I didn't enjoy like, getting there. Pitch me your, uh, you can't change anything but the twist. You can change the twist. What is the twist that makes you go like, I like this story. If all that had been going towards something that was more effective, then I would excuse it. But that's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to just, what is the way they could have twisted that and had you go like, yeah, that's really cool. What could that have led to that would have made you like it? Yeah, what would have given you a payoff to that? I just don't think it should have been there the backstory at all i don't care about any of it at all and so uh, like it would have to be so fucking good and again i had very high hopes coming out of white knight so i was like well he could do it but it just i didn't care you know and hearing him talk about it he had fully other genres that he wanted to do and then ended up sort of reeling it in a bit to be more mm -hmm. batman so people would buy it and so like i get that his intent was totally different and the things he was going for, I have no frame of reference or interest in. And so it makes sense to me why that, that element doesn't work for me. I mean, it's, it's fine. I'm not mad at it. It's just like, I like the first one better, even though this has way cooler shit in small doses. I had an easier time reading this one, but again, I think it's because I'm just not a huge Joker person. Yeah. So having him not be as important or as big in this made this a more enjoyable read. I don't mind that at all. I think it was fine having him locked up and sort of be uh, out of the picture a little bit. Mm. You know, I like the, the world building stuff where there's a character who's a significant leading character in their own right, but just part of the world. I like that stuff. Maybe it was just an attempt to kind of shake up the history and a little different world building but also to introduce Azrael and to give him some motivation even if it was kind of convoluted for sure I guess you know a version of that stuff that works better for me is like Earth One where you're expanding on those histories you know we already mentioned Court of Owls you know but like I think those are two just more grounded examples where the through line is much clearer and more recent I guess uh, I don't know this is Robin Thanks for checking out the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. All right, this concludes, if you'll allow the uh, pun here, year one of the Bat Fanatic podcast. That's right. So again, thank you to my co-hosts, to our sponsor, and to all of our listeners. One last time, I'm asking, take a screenshot, let people know that you're listening, help spread the word, and then go to iTunes. And give us that five-star rating. If you use it, that's great. If you don't use it, but you got an Apple phone, you know, just pop on there real quick. 
Search Bat Fanatic Podcast. Give it that five star. We really appreciate it. And uh, we will be back. It sounds like we got the whole gang on board to do another year of the show. So when I started, I had 50 episodes I wanted to do. We're only about halfway there. So we're going to come back. I know people wanted us to do three Jokers and some other things. So stay tuned, and we'll be back with the Bat Fanatic Podcast.